right. Well, and of course, that's uh, the uh, goal is that we would uh, not just uh, know the Word of God, but that the Lord could use us to be a channel to give the Word of God to others. And uh, we all should desire to be used of the Lord to be a vessel for Him. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue our series here through uh, the different Bible doctrines, major Bible doctrines, and tonight we're going to be uh, looking again at the Holy Spirit, um, but uh, we're going to be trying to clear up some confusion regarding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I would say out of the, uh, out of the different uh, members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's probably more confusion regarding the Holy Spirit than there is about the other two, although there is some uh, confusion about Jesus Christ, and uh, you know certainly our uh, the Mormons uh, struggle with uh, their interpretation of uh, who Jesus Christ is. He was not the brother of Satan, and uh, he was not just a god. He is God. Um, he is fully God, and uh, he didn't become God. Um, he always was God. Always will be God. Um, so there is some confusion about Christ, but also uh, I would say there's more uh, confusion about the Holy Spirit um, as we, uh, as you kind of look at churchianity, okay, not, not even Christianity, just churchianity. And uh, we're going to look at some of the confusion here, just uh, a couple quick thoughts. Um, and, and, and there's a whole bunch more we could say about all of these, but uh, we'll... Uh, just hit hit these three thoughts and, uh, and and wrap it up for tonight. Um, all right. So first, we're going to actually uh, turn in our Bible to First Corinthians chapter fourteen. First Corinthians fourteen, and and actually we're going to be here for for the bulk of uh, the message um, as we look at uh, the 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 gift of tongues in just a few minutes. But we're going to start just by reading this verse, First uh, Corinthians fourteen, verse thirty three. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So God's not the author of confusion, and of course, actually, the context of this has to do with the gift of tongues, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, I want us to understand that, look, we don't have to be confused about the Holy Spirit. The Word of God has uh, is written for us to understand, and there, there, I'll, I'll, I'll admit there are some things in the Scriptures that are a little harder to understand than others. Um, and, and some of these, um, the gift of tongues, um, when we get there, I think is, is, is not that difficult to understand. Um, but uh, let, let, let's go ahead and jump into uh, the first area that I want to uh, talk about, and that is the Holy Spirit and prayer. The Holy Spirit and prayer. Now, when we, when we pray, um, te technically, when we, when we pray, we're really supposed to be praying to the Father, Okay. Now, I, again, I know that the Trinity um, is three in one, uh, but technically, uh, when we pray, we are to pray to the Father. Uh, why? Because the Holy Spirit does not promote Himself. He does not draw attention to Himself. And nowhere in the Scriptures do we see anybody praying to the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, there is... Um, 
a group of in churchianity, the Pentecostals and the charismatic movement. It's common in these type of churches to uh, pray to the Holy Spirit and to invite the Holy Spirit to come when they are seeking manifestations. For 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 those who have experienced that, and and um, I I'm one that has uh, been a part of a charismatic church when I was growing up. Um, my parents, that's where they took me, and so I didn't really have any choice in the matter, and uh, went, and, and this was a very common occurrence for, for those on the platform to say, oh, Holy Spirit, would you please just come down and, and, and show yourself to us? That was a very common uh, type of, of prayer, but, but as you go through the scriptures, really there's no instances where there was prayer to the Holy Spirit. Okay, we know that the Holy Spirit is part of prayer. He actually is one of the, he intercedes for us. In, in Romans chapter number 8, it talks about what the Holy Spirit does with our utterances, and he interprets those and intercedes on our behalf. But we're not to pray to the Holy Spirit, technically speaking. Um, John chapter 16, a very quick reference here. Uh, I'm going to turn over there real quick. John chapter 16, just to kind of show you the um, really the the place of the Holy Spirit, and and when it comes to prayer, this is it makes sense for Him to not be the one that we're praying to. Um, John 16 verse number uh, 13 says this: Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus says, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. All right, so there's a little, you know, that, that little passage there. Jesus is teaching the disciples and, and us that the, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's not going to be all about himself. He's gonna, his ministry really is to point us to Christ. Okay, and again, nowhere in the New Testament do we find the apostles praying to the Holy Spirit or worshiping the Holy Spirit or inviting the Holy Spirit to come down and show himself or in any way promoting the Spirit himself. You consider the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray not to the Holy Spirit. He also did not teach us to pray to him. He taught us technically to pray to the Father. In Matthew, if you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter number 6, we'll look at a couple passages in Matthew here. Matthew chapter 6, in verse number, um, verse number 6, he says, but, when thou, uh, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Holy Spirit. That's not what that verse says. Pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. And then he goes on in verse number 9. I'm sorry, verse number 8. Be therefore like unto them for your Father. I'm sorry, verse 9. Yeah, after this manner, therefore pray ye our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus taught us, when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray to the Father. Um, and then... Uh, when Jesus prayed, he addressed the Father. Uh, Matthew chapter 11. If you just turn over a couple pages to Matthew 11. 
um, in verse number uh, 25. Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. And then um, in John 17, you don't have to turn over there, but I will just real quickly. John 17 in verse number one, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, that thy son may also may glorify thee. So Jesus is praying to the Father. And the Apostle Paul taught us to pray to God, the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Okay? A couple references on this. Romans 1. Romans 1. Um, Romans 1 and verse number 8. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And then one more reference, uh, Romans 7 and verse 25. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are to pray to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and there's not one example of believers in the Bible praying to the Holy Spirit. There, there's not one. And the Holy Spirit always promotes the Lord Jesus Christ and focuses the believer's attention upon Him. The believer does not receive the Holy Spirit by seeking the Holy Spirit. He receives the Holy Spirit by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, again, th this whole, Holy Spirit, would you please show yourself to us tonight, it is not a biblical prayer. Um, now, I... I'm not trying to say that the intention there is completely uh, wrong, but it, it's, it's, it's a focus that shouldn't be uh, a part of, um, uh, of our lives because really our, our focus needs to be on Christ. Now, one of the key individuals in the charismatic movement is um, a man that most of us are familiar with, Benny Hinn, and he has an unscriptural doctrine of the Holy Spirit and uh, Hinn prays to the Holy Spirit, seeks the Holy Spirit, invites the Holy Spirit. But none of this is, of course, based on the testimony of, of the Word of God. The Bible plainly teaches that the Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. Though he is a person of the Godhead, he's a, he draws attention rather to Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit in prayer. And, uh, you know, I know that some, when they, when they pray, they say, Dear Jesus, um, technically... You know, again, we are to pray to God the Father uh, through uh, Christ uh, by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in prayer um, wanted to uh, maybe clear up that, uh, that, that maybe, maybe you have been wondering about that. Uh, next, let's look at the gift of tongues. Um, and, and boy, is there confusion about this one. Um, now, we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church do not believe that the gift of tongues uh, is uh, currently um, a spiritual gift. We believe that it has ceased, and I'm going to explain a little bit why we believe that. Um, this is not to say that, um, you know, if you have a friend that, that, that believes that they speak in tongue, tongues, and, uh, you know, I... I know I know good people who believe that tongues are, are for today, and I'm not trying to 
you know, make this a, a matter of, you know, judgment and, and major criticism. Uh, I'm just saying here at Cornerstone, this is what we believe, and there's biblical reasons why we believe that. Um, but I don't want us to be like a nasty thing um, that, you know, somebody speaks in tongues, like, ooh, get away from me, you know. Um, I, I believe they can be saved, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to let, hey, why don't you go and preach for me today? <laughs> nope. Uh, we're going to protect the doctrine that our church holds to here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. Uh, but I want to have a good spirit towards those who uh, look differently at this. With that being said, I um, wanted to give you some reasons um, why we do not believe that the gift of tongues, or, or let me just kind of talk about what the gift of tongues really is. Uh, first of all, and, and let's turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because 1 Corinthians 14 is the chapter in the Bible that deals with tongues and some instructions regarding it. Um, it was something that was an actual gift back in the early days of the church. Um, but um, here, here, here's some thoughts here as we go through 1 Corinthians 14. Number one, biblical tongues were a sign to Israel. Um, that, that was the purpose of tongues. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, your Bible's there. Look in verse number 20. And Paul's saying, brethren, be not children in understanding. In other words, don't, don't be, there, there's no excuse for being immature and, and not knowing these, these things. He says, howbeit in malice be ye children. You, you shouldn't be very uh, advanced in your, um, in your bad attitude. Um, but, but in understanding, be men, be, be mature. Uh, grow up in your understanding. Okay, verse 21, In the law it is written with men of other tongues. Now, what the, it's refer, Paul's referencing back to Isaiah chapter number 28, when he says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. And yet for all that will, they will not hear me, I'm sorry, see if I can read this verse here. And yet for all that will, they not hear me, saith the Lord. There we go. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Okay. Um, now, anyone who wants to understand the biblical doctrine and practice of tongues speaking must start here in 1 Corinthians 14. He tells us that the gift of tongues was a fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Isaiah 28 verses 11 and 12 that was directed to the Jews. Now when he says this people, that refers to the Jewish nation to whom the prophet Isaiah was speaking. The miraculous tongues were a sign to unbelieving Jews that God was speaking now to all nations of men and calling them by the gospel into one new spiritual body composed of both Jews and Gentiles. Each time we see the gift of tongues exercised in the book of Acts, Jews were present. And there are three main passages in the book of Acts where we find the gift of tongues being exercised. 
Once in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Uh, once in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius was saved. And then uh, once in Acts chapter number 19 when um, the disciples of John uh, were uh, growing. Okay, well on the day of Pentecost and in Acts 19 it was the Jews themselves that spoke in tongues. So we need to understand that, that first and foremost the reason that God gave us the gift of tongues was really not, not, not for us to go and pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I'm super spiritual, I have the gift of tongues. It was a sign to Israel to show them that now God's family doesn't just include Jews. Uh, now it can include Gentiles as well. And it was a sign gift. Okay, uh, number B here, or letter B, uh, biblical tongues were bound by apostolic direction which means that the Apostle Paul gave some specific guidelines as to how the gift of tongues was to be exercised within the context of the local church. And nine times out of ten, uh, when you go to a uh, charismatic church, at least one of these is not followed. Okay? Uh, let's look at some of them here. First, um, um, First, tongues are to be spoken only by course, one by one. Okay, and this is found in uh, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 14. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. So it's not to be this chaos, because a couple verses later, um, in verse 33, God is not the author of confusion. It's not to be, you know, Tammy stands up and starts speaking in tongues, and Randy starts speaking in tongues at the same time, and then Corey decides to chime in too because he wants his voice to be heard. That's not the way it's supposed to go. It's, it's supposed to be, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's supposed to be one by one, okay? And, uh, and, and that's not always the case. I've been in services uh, when I was growing up where it was a lot of, a lot of people were popping up and it was like popcorn, but they were popping up at the same time <laughs> and, and speaking. And, and that's not biblical. Uh, number two, second, uh, tongues must be interpreted. So it's not just a, if you're going to speak in tongues, you need to have an interpreter. Verse 27, again, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Verse 28, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if you're going to speak in tongues, there better be an interpreter present. And you better make sure that that's the case. Uh, number three here, there's to be no confusion or lack of peace. And in this, um, verse, let, me, let me go up to verse 23 here. And um, it says here, if, there, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will not they say that ye are mad? We, ha we have a tongue-speaking service and we have several visitors come in and and they're sitting here and they're like what in the world is going on here these people are whacked and they must have visited one of the dispensaries the one of the million dispensaries here and more before they came to church 
and and that's it, it would it is a um, it, it's an uncomfortable situation. I've been in it, and it's it's not a, a time of peace. It's a time of like awkward. It's very awkward. And and again, here God says in verse thirty three, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And in verse 40, it says, let all things be done decently and in order, including this area. And look, we, we, we use this verse a lot, let all things be done decently in order. But it has to do with the tongues and the gift of tongues within the local church. And, and most churches do not do it decently and in order. And, and it is confusing. It is not peaceful. It's awkward. It uh, creates tension. Because, oh, I hope somebody is here to interpret that. And it just is, it's awkward, okay? Um, and then number four, this is a big one. Women are not allowed to speak in tongues. And this is the one that usually gets neglected. <laughs> uh, because in churches, it's usually the women who are the ones... Um, who are, are who are are speaking in tongues, and this verse is extremely clear, uh, right here in um, verse number thirty four. Let your women keep silence in the churches. It is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Now, one, you know, someone might take this and say, well, then. That means that, you know, when we have testimony times, the women are not allowed to speak. Um, no, I, I, think, I don't think that's what Paul meant here, because we're, we're giving an opportunity for that. But this is where, where women stand up in the middle of a service and start speaking in tongues. No, that, 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 that needs to be shot down. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I was reading, I was reading a... Uh, a post uh, from a uh, pastor's group in a Facebook uh, Facebook group. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, they were saying, yeah, they were they were talking about the craziest things that have happened in people's minute in, in in the middle of a service. And uh, there were some funny stories. And 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 this one pastor said, yeah, I was in the middle of my message, and this lady. Uh, tried to correct me in the middle of my sermon, and he said, and I directed my attention to her husband, and he said, sir, you either need to correct your wife and tell her to keep silence in the church, or you both need to leave. I was like, amen. <laughs> I wish I had that type of backbone, you know. <laughs> but really, that is, that is the biblical uh, pattern, um, and that, that is biblical. Um, so anyway, women are not allowed to speak in tongues. And so, I mean, if a church is going to follow this, they need to follow the apostolic uh, direction here from 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, there's, there's so many other things I could mention on this as well, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the third thought here. Biblical tongues were real earthly languages. Okay, now I know that some people uh, believe that the gift of tongues, uh, this gift of tongues, 
is yes, in the in the book of Acts, it was known languages, but it is also a, a like known public languages. But then there's also one aspect of this gift that is unknown personal prayer language. Okay, well, let's mention here the fact that in Acts chapter Acts chapter two, there was um, this gift of tongues given, but they were known languages. And, and I don't really have time. I don't really want to honestly take the time to go through all the nuances of why everybody believes what they believe and go, go through this. Um, there, do your own study on it. Um, I just maybe want to whet your appetite to go do your own study on it. But be careful who you read. Um, all right, but Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 6, um, well, verse number 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, this is on the day of Pentecost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. With This was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So this, this, this means that, you know, if there was somebody there from... Um, you know, I'll just kind of use it in our modern day, okay? So if there was somebody there from Nigeria, they would hear it in the Nigerian language. If there was somebody there from Germany, they would they were hearing the message in German. In German. If there was somebody there from Mexico, they heard it in Spanish. If there was somebody from Oklahoma, they would hear it in Oki. I mean, <laughs> they, they were able to understand it in their own language. And... Um, it was it was pretty amazing they were able to do that and it was a miracle okay um, so according to first Corinthians going back to first Corinthians 14 verse 2 um, where it says this um, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God for no man understandeth him howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries he speaketh mysteries now, according to that verse, tongue speaking was given was the giving forth of mysteries, which refers, refers to revelation. Now, when the word mystery appears in the New Testament, it refers to things that were hidden in the Old Testament times, but are now brought to light. Things like the church. That was a mystery before, but now has been revealed. Um, and this is what we see on the day of Pentecost. Those that heard the disciples speak in tongues on that day say, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Biblical tongues were languages, not some sort of unintelligible mutterings. Which a lot of people think that, again, that private uh, prayer language. But why do we need to have that when God can understand English just dandy? Um, that's not necessary. Okay. Um, number, letter D here, biblical tongues were not sought after, but were sovereignly given by God. They were given by God. This was uh, one of the gifts that God was giving out to, um, just like he's given the, the gift of, of mercy and all the different uh, spiritual gifts that God's given. This was one of them that he gave. And and so, in other words, it wasn't something that, you know, people were like, ooh, I really want to get so spiritual that I could speak in tongues, which is a mentality within the charismatic movement that when you're really spiritual, then you have this gift. 
But, it, but it's a gift that God gave. It wasn't a gift that someone earned. It wasn't like you achieved this certain level in your Christian life that God says, okay, now I'll give you this gift. No, no, no. See, at the moment of salvation, God gave all of us a spiritual gift, maybe in many cases, multiple spiritual gifts. But in the charismatic movement, it is something that you kind of like seek after, like, ooh, I want to get to that point where I can now speak in tongues because I see others do it and, it, and it seems so cool and it seems so spiritual that you're that close to God where you're able to speak in tongues. But it's not something that you sought after. It was something that God gave. Okay? Here's a couple other thoughts. They're not on your outline, but just bonus thoughts here. Um, why I believe that biblically uh, tongues are not for today um, biblical tongues, as I mentioned, were, were spiritual gifts, and so God gave some people that gift, but others He did not, which goes to show that, look, it's, it's not the thing that we ought to be uh, chasing. And, and in the charismatic movement, that really seems to be kind of like the, the, the stamp of arrival, like you have arrived when you can start speaking in tongues. But uh, biblical tongues were not spoken by all Christians, even in the first century. Many who did not. There is also no instruction in the Bible about how to speak in tongues. Yes, there's instruction in 1 Corinthians 14 on how to, um, on, on you know, some parameters within the context of the church, but exactly how to speak in tongues, there's no instruction there. Now, if, if tongue speaking were that important for the Christian life and for a good thing for every Christian to speak in tongues, do you not think that God would have plainly instructed us about how to do such a thing? Pentecostals and Charismatic teach people how to speak in tongues, but there's not a hint of such a thing in Scripture. Biblical tongues was a great miracle, and miracles cannot be learned. And the Pentecostal charismatic method of speaking in tongues is honestly unscriptural and dangerous. Uh, when a person accepts the idea that tongue speaking is a needed and helpful thing for the spiritual life, he then asks how tongues can be received. And the Pentecostal charismatic preacher commonly instructs such a one to simply um, open his mouth and start muttering words, but without using normal language. Do you think that's of God? Again, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. And again, I, I, as I said at the beginning of this message, look, I'm not trying to like be nasty towards those who believe this. Um, but at the same time, I want us to understand the danger of it and uh, be warned against it and uh, to uh, be careful about it. Here's a couple other thoughts here. Um, is the gift of tongues for today? I, I say no. Uh, because, think about these, these thoughts here. Tongues are never mentioned by the Apostle Paul again after 1 Corinthians 14. Never talks about it. He never brings it up again. And 1 Corinthians 14 was one of the, one of the, one of the first uh, books of the Bible, uh, of the New Testament, um, as far as the epistles go. It, one of the first. It, it wasn't the first. But, um, but Paul never mentioned it again in the rest of his uh, epistles. 
Uh, you think about this, Peter, James, John, Jude, and even the author of Hebrews never mentioned tongues. Uh, tongues are not mentioned as a fruit of, fruit of the Spirit. I mean, if it was something that all of us Christians should really try to have in our life, don't you think that uh, they would be part of the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, tongues are not mentioned as a qualification for a pastor or deacon in 2 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter number 1. Uh, tongues is not mentioned there as a requirement. And when you read Revelations chapter 2 and 3, as Jesus wrote those letters to the seven churches, not one time is tongues ever mentioned. I mean, holding for doctrine, um, leaving their first love, um, having this pride and arrogance like the church of Laodicea had, uh, those things are mentioned, but the gift of tongues, uh, not, not once mentioned. And then uh, the big one is 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 8. If you turn over there real quick. This is the big one. And there is a debate from both sides on this verse on what it means. And I'm of the opinion that um, tongues have definitely ceased here. But here's, here's the verse. Charity never faileth. 1 Corinthians 13, a charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And then when you connect it with verses 9 and 10, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Uh, one commentator I was reading about this, he said in verse Verse uh, 9 tells us, knowing the, the, the gift of knowledge and the gift of prophecy, those are in part. Verse number 10, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Okay, what is that which is perfect? The Lord Jesus Christ, yes. And when he comes back for us, that is one interpretation. But here is what I believe. I believe that 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 which is perfect is come is a reference to the completion of the scriptures, the canon of scripture. And when that happens, we no longer need the uh, knowledge, uh, the gift of knowledge. We no longer need the prophecy. And really, here's, here's the deal. Uh, before that which is in part is going to vanish away and fail, um, that, um, when those are done away, before all that happens, tongues are going to cease, um, is, is what I believe. So tongues ceased prior to the scriptures coming into formation. Um, we no longer need it. Uh, the scriptures now bear record that the gospel is for Jew and Gentile alike. And, and we no longer need this sign gift because now we have the scriptures. Um, so, with all of these reasons put together, I say tongues are no longer in existence. So, what does that mean about those who believe they have the gift of tongues? I'll let you decide. <laughs> Again, I want to be gracious. Um, and, and it's a tough deal. If someone says, 
okay, well then what do you believe I have? Uh, if, if they really believe they have the gift of tongues and, and they say, okay, well, you, you don't believe that they exist, so, so what do I have then? Is it a gift of the devil? I mean, it's possible. It's possible. And again, I don't, want, I don't want to say that because I want to be gracious and kind and nice, but it's possible that, that that's the case. Um, and and I'll, I'll let you decide on that, and I'll let you do more further study on it <laughs> so as to not get in trouble too much. Because, you know, we want to be gracious. And, and with, with um, 1 Corinthians 13, as we, as we talk about that, the word charity, that's the, that's the love chapter, right? And, you know, we want to we wanna choose to be gracious and kind and love others. Uh, but we also need to hold to biblical truth. And I believe that with all the reasons we've discussed, um, it's clear to me that uh, the tongues have gone away. And the, the emphasis of the scriptures is definitely not on, on, uh, on speaking in tongues, as much as the charismatic movement makes it seem. I mean, they make it seem like it's the, you know, you are the Christian if you can do that. And if you're not, boy, one day maybe you could be. And, and that's really just not the emphasis of Scripture. The emphasis of Scripture is abiding in Christ, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, period. Not trying to have some specific gift that everybody wants. In fact, here's what, here's what Paul said in, at the end of uh, chapter 12. Uh, when he talked about the gifts of the Spirit... He said, God has said in some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And then verse 31 of that chapter says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13 as he talks about charity. And really, that's the emphasis about loving God, loving others. And uh, that's, the, that's something we should be chasing, not the gift of tongues. All right? Um, and, and I know I maybe created more questions in your mind than I gave you answers. I don't know. But um, there's just some thoughts there about trying to clear up some confusion. Maybe I created some more. I don't know. Um, but uh, let's look at the last one here real quickly, just, just to wrap this up here. Um, Holy Spirit slaying, slaying. All right, so uh, the charismatic movement is uh, known for being slain in the Spirit, having services where people literally fall over. They come down to the front, and the, the pastor just, maybe you've seen it on TV. I've been in services where this has happened. And it, it's, it's scary. Spirit slaying is an integral experience within the charismatic movement today. And allegedly, the Holy Spirit knocks people down to the floor and sometimes even holds them there so that they cannot rise up. This experience is also called Holy Spirit glue and carpet time. Now, there is no example of such a thing in the New Testament. Okay, there is some examples of people uh, falling down in the New Testament, but not, not like it's displayed and taught within the charismatic movement. 
Believers sometimes fell down before Christ to worship Him. Um, the term fall down is frequently used in Scripture to describe worship. Um, the disciples fell down on their faces and were afraid on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? As they were there, they, it, it, they didn't know how to react, so they fell down on their face. The men who took, up, who took Jesus in the garden went backward and fell down when He spoke the words, I am He. And I love that part of the story. In fact, let's look at it one more time. John 18. John 18. John 18, um, verse 1. When Jesus spoke in these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where there was a uh, garden into the which he entered, and his disciples, Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. I love this, verse 6. As soon as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So here comes this band of men. You know, they're going to take him by force. Sure. Yeah. You have all the weapons you want. You're not going to take him by force. And he kind of proved that when, they, when he said, who, who, who are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't afraid at that point to, uh, he, he wasn't like, well, yeah, he, I, I am he. And he said it boldly. As soon as he said that, everybody there fell down backwards. I mean, the power of those words, those three words, I am he, caused everybody to fall down backwards. Okay, let's keep reading here. Verse 7, they, evidently they get back up again. He asked them, and then asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said, probably a little less confidently this time. <laughs> uh, last time we said Jesus of Nazareth, it didn't work out so good for us. We ended up falling down and hitting the back of our head. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, well, I've told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these uh, go their way. And uh, so this... so. Falling down to the ground was not something that people like wanted to have happen. Saul fell to the ground when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. There was a couple that fell to the ground after they uh, conspired together to lie to the Holy Spirit. Remember that in Acts chapter number 5? Both of them fell down. And, uh, well, you could say it was Holy Spirit glue and carpet time because they did not ever get back up again, because they died. They were slain in the Spirit, literally. Okay, um, John fell at Christ's feet as dead in Revelation chapter 1, and verse 17. See, these instances of falling down in the New Testament have zero similarity whatsoever with the Spirit-slaying phenomenon, which is part and parcel with the charismatic movement. 
In the New Testament, there was no laying on of hands preceding the falling down. In fact, there was no human instrumentality whatsoever in any of these instances of falling in the Bible. There was no spastic jerking. There was no Holy Spirit glue which kept someone from arising. There was no laughter connecting with the falling. I, I, I will tell you this. Uh, my mom took m- my brother and I to the church we were attending at the time, which was a very charismatic church, and they had a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. And, you know, I don't fault them for having a 5 a.m. prayer meeting. Um, that's, that's pretty early to me. Um, I'm not saying that I will or won't never have a 5 a.m. prayer meeting, but they did have a 5 a.m. prayer meeting, and, and my mom took us there, and we went, and there were the, the building inside was, was somewhat dark. They had a few little lights on, but then basically it was just a place for people to pray. There were people crying. There were people laughing. There were people barking like dogs. I'm not kidding. It was a circus. Confusion. It was confusion. Um, now, this is not, I, I just cannot believe that that is the work of the Holy Spirit at all. There were no people queuing up in lines uh, in, the Old Te- in the New Testament waiting to fall down. And, and, and you see this in these Benny Hinn crusades and things like that. These, um, these type of services where people are wanting to fall down. There were no repetitive choruses preparing people for mystical experiences. So that's a, I just want to maybe clear up some of these things that the this Holy Spirit slaying is not something you really want because Ananias and Sapphira got to experience the full experience of being slain in the Spirit. And they're not alive to talk about it. And so you and I should not seek that. And, I, you know, again, I don't think anybody here is going, okay, well, good, I'm, I was wanting to be slain in the Spirit tonight. Um, I don't think anybody was like that. But uh, as, as you hear about these things and see them, just, just know that that's not biblical Christianity, okay? Uh, the, the Bible's clear about uh, a lot of these things are just not, they're not of God. They're not, they're not of Him. And uh, who are they of? Uh, well, if they're not of God, I would say that they're, they're of the master counterfeiter. And uh, I think he tries to create spiritual experiences, the devil does, to um, make people get off course and, uh, and, and take people astray. And so we need to be on guard of that. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple of prayer requests here. And uh, if you have more questions, I can try to answer them, but I definitely would encourage you to do your own research. And uh, there's a lot of good information out there, but be careful about who you uh, look into. Let's pray, and uh, we'll look at some prayer requests. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, and uh, thank you for... Uh, his ministry, and uh, Lord, with that ministry, though, there's been a lot of confusion out in the culture in which we live. Uh, Father, I pray you'd help us to be aware of the truth and to be on guard and to make sure that we are not going to fall into some of these traps that, uh, that, that speak to our emotion, um, but Lord, to um, stay with the Word of God. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd keep our church pure uh, doctrinally. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help me as I lead this church to have wisdom as I uh, 
navigate through some of these things and, and try to teach our people about um, what's out there and, 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 and what's right and what's wrong. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have a good spirit um, and to, to, to be gracious, but also to have a strong stand on, on, on the Word of God. And uh, we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.